Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yes, hi everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Euros edition of the Gag and Pod. David Weiner with you once again. Again, it's been an emotional, harrowing roller coaster of a night of action at the Euros, to be honest, where football played second fiddle to some harrowing scenes earlier in the day where uh, Christian Eriksen, the, the Denmark star, the Denmark hero, um, collapsed on the turf and had to be re- uh, resuscitated. And, and there were quite interesting scenes as the match was postponed, but thankfully we've had a good report and the game was able to go ahead. And uh, we'll discuss that and the reaction to that all today on the podcast, as well as the two other games. But as I said, overshadowed by the incident. And we can thankfully talk about the good health, hopefully, of Christian Eriksen. To do so, I welcome back Sport journalist Nick Stoll. Good to see you again, Nick. Yeah, great to be here and uh, really looking forward to uh, chatting through the games. And very thankful to be joined today by Thomas Sorensen, Denmark legend. Thomas, first of all, thank you for joining us um, because it has been a harrowing night for yourself. Um, So I really appreciate you sticking around to to talk our audience through what happened and the emotion that your your countrymen are feeling right now. It must have been quite the night for you. Yeah, it's um, it it was quite surreal. And uh, you know, I'm a I'm a, a good friend of of Christian. And, um, you know, to sit there and watch it. And also it was the just a change of emotion because the country had been gearing up for this. The, the, the team was in good form, you know, the excitement. Um, and, and they had a good start to the game. They were dominating. And then suddenly this happens. And, and then you're sitting there two minutes later and reflecting over your own life and on, on his life. And, you know, the memories flash, uh, you know, across your you know your eyes and and uh, you know I, I shared a room with him when he when he came into the national team during the 2010 world cup took him under my wing a little bit and uh you know he was only 17 18 at that time and and we come from the same part in in denmark and you know I've, I've, i spent some time with him last time i was i was in denmark on holiday you know so you know to sit there and watch that to spend those 10 minutes not knowing um and, and then suddenly the emotions just you know, took over and I had to go somewhere else and, you know, sh- you know, cry a bit. You know, it, it was very, very tough. And, and, and thankfully, the news was good. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing mm. here. Mm. For those who, who didn't see, the truth is it was a it was a confronting moment. It was one of those moments that make you think, is this as bad as we suspect it is? So it was it was quite a roller coaster for everyone. And, and thank goodness the reports are now that um, he... he you know, is, is stable and that's the most important outcome of anything that we've heard today. Yeah, you know, that's fantastic news. Um, you know, also to to see, you know, his girlfriend, he's got two kids, you know, she was on the pitch. Um, I, I spoke to another friend who was sitting next to, to his family um, and, and, and that creates a whole nother picture in my mind and, and what they are going through and, and, you know, you relate to your own family and suddenly, you know, sport is not important. Football is not important. There's things in life that are totally, you know, so much more valuable. And uh, yeah, it was, 
it was a weird, surreal thing. And, um, and, and yeah, thankfully, you know, all the reports are that he's, he's communicating, um, you know, he's, he's spoken to, to his family and, um, you know, we'll see how it goes, but, you know, let's hope the news just keeps getting better and, and he can get back to a normal life. And, you know, I don't really care if he ever plays football again. Um, that's not important for him is to spend time with his, his, his girlfriend, his family, his kids, you know, that's what matters. I think uh, one thing that was quite impressive was how well it was handled by the Danish players as well, forming a ring of unity around him. You know, in that moment, you would have been so emotional, in shock to, to do that. was mm. it was incredible by the players, but also the medical staff as mm. well to get him the attention that he needed, the referee. The match officials, I think it was five seconds until, or something like that, until the, the medical staff came on the field. Yeah, so it's very impressive, um, you know, the way that the team dealt with it. And also emotionally to have to come back and finish the game because for those who didn't see it in real time, they, they, they came off the pitch for a while. But then I think they they FaceTimed, they communicated with Ericsson. He, you know, said the word that he was okay. And I think they were given two choices to play tomorrow or to play today. And it was uh, Hulman who said, um, there was no pressure on from UEFA to play tonight. We knew we had two options. The players couldn't imagine not being able to sleep tonight and then having to get on a bus and come in again tomorrow. Honestly, it was best to get it over with. Of course, you can't play a game with such feelings. And what we tried to do was incredible. And Mm. I agree, it definitely was incredible. And it was. How proud are you of your countrymen today that they went out on the field and um and and didn't get the result they wanted but the way they held themselves in in utter adversity yeah you you're proud of the you know the the unity um you know the the pride um the camaraderie you know the respect for ericsson you know i i know him as a person i don't think there's anyone in the football community that doesn't like him you know he's the nicest guy uh, sometimes a little bit too quiet but you know he, he you know, so you, and you could see that on every single player's face. You know how much it meant, and um, you know he's obviously a great player, but also as as I think Yulman also said, he's an even even better person. And um, you know, um, you know, if I, I put myself in that place of of being a player, you know, I think it's it's better when you're a little bit under shock to to then yeah play and then deal with the emotions after because like had I been a player going back to the hotel then you start talking then you reflect over your own life and what could have happened and and then to go out and play tomorrow you know that would have been a disaster so yeah the the result wasn't what um, they wanted but who cares now they they got a you know three or four days and and they go again I think it's also worth pointing out Kasper Michael, his role. You know, he mm. was very quick to, to bring over the medical officials. He was console, uh, consoling uh, Ericsson's partner as well. And he was also the one who ran um, when the Leicester City owner's helicopter crashed. He was the one who ran straight out to there. So he's obviously gone through a lot of these traumatic things, but in both cases, shown incredible leadership. So, you know, again, another example of, of his leadership qualities. Talk to us about um, the stature that Christian has in your back home um, and. and the impact he's had because you're talking about a, a Serie A winner, a player that's made a Champions League final. Um, for context, he is he, he is one of the great Dane players. Yeah, you know, you you know you you you're talking about him in the same league as, as a Peter Michael and Michael, Michael Laudrup. You know, uh, you know he's he's, um, he's he's sometimes overlooked a little bit because he's very quiet. Like he, he doesn't make big headlines uh, off the pitch. You know, he's a family man. Uh, he just quietly goes about his business, but you know, everyone in Denmark has huge respect for him, and 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 you can also see the whole football community now. I think I think that's the great thing about, you know, we saw the respect from the fans, but you know, all the clubs, um, you know, rivals, you know, you saw Lukaku, mm. how classy was that? Now how he dedicated it to his friend, and 
um you know so i i think that's you know that's the the, the great thing about the sport is that yeah we we we, we want to win and we, we 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 hate our rivals but when push comes to shove everyone is on the same page and 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 you know, understand what what was was happening. Well, Finland response after the game uh, in their social media posting and in their p- p- press conferences, the coaches and the players said exactly that. This was, we'll talk about it in a moment. It was a historic moment for them, but they realised that there was a, a bigger thing at play here, and that's life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's life and health and and safety of of, of colleagues um, and, and teammates at this moment. So, um, what does happen here? Because you talk about the roller coaster of emotion, Thomas. You came in this morning, and we've been buzzing about the Euros probably for two, three weeks, and the high, uh, and that's just as a, a, fa- a fan now uh, on the other side of the planet. How does um, Copenhagen as a host city, and how does Denmark as a team go from here um, in terms of ad- addressing the tournament, focusing, um, trying to find its relevance again after what happened? You know, I think it, it'll be important to, to see that Ericsson is getting better you know when report more reports come out and you know we'll, we'll see how the test goes and, and everything he goes through and uh, you know uh, in sport you learn you know there's always like you move on to the next game mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's how life is as well it goes on and um, you know there, there's a healing process you know they'll talk it through um but they are not over and done with in this tournament. I think they can do that for him. You know, I, I'm sure they they get went back out, and that was a big message. You know, we got to do it for him, even though it's hard, and and, and they end up losing. They still got a chance, and uh, you know, potentially they can hear from 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 Ericsson and and get some good messages, and then you you go on and you, you can turn this into a, a great positive because mm. it you know from where I was and my belief in those minutes. You know, this is a great positive because I, I, uh, I thought it was done, and that you know what a shadow that would have put over the tournament. Yeah, and I believe uh, if you look in the Danish press, the headline in the major newspaper was "Denmark lost, but life won," and I think that is the kind of mm. sentiment. And you know, the players actually did look quite fired up coming up back at half time. They didn't get the result that they wanted, but they had twenty three shots to one. So you see, they were still creating chances. Mm. They were still, you know, a penalty miss. It, it could have been a very different result. Could have been a much kind of a, a, I guess better story if uh, Denmark had gone on to win the game but like you say they're not out of this tournament at all we could still see an amazing uh, story well I think as um, what we a tight group I know that Russia uh, didn't didn't perform uh, that well this morning but I think in terms of looking at which teams will be the best place third place sides I think a competitive tight group will have them in a good set but as you said Thomas uh, we do tend to move on quickly and we're not going to do that because our thoughts and prayers are with Christian Eriksen for us you know He's not he's stable, but we want to see positive news from here on in. And, of course, we'll keep you uh, updated of that as soon as we hear anything here at Optus Sport. But as Nick alluded to, the result didn't go their way. The game did resume. Um, and in the end, it was a surreal occasion because for Finland, it's a historic moment. Not only their first match at a major tournament, their first goal at a major tournament, first point at a major tournament, first win at a major tournament. And they've been a member of FIFA since 1908 and had probably as... Kamikaze, a history of qualifying as Australia has actually. There's a fabulous piece on the Optusport app if you want some background about some of their highs and lows. So all things considered, Nick, it's actually, well, in a way, if you can take the the context out of it for a second, it is their Kaiserslautern moment, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I, I felt a little sorry for the players as well who didn't celebrate the goal, who, you know, we remember Tim Cahill scoring in Kaiserslautern. That moment is so positive and so emotional for us. We still remember it 15 years on. 
you know, you, you look at this, I don't know if it's going to have the same moment mm. for Finland, despite it being such a historical moment. So, you know, it was incredible. In fact, this is a historical performance for a few reasons. It was the first time ever that a team has won in a World Cup or European Cup going back to 1966 with a single shot. They had two touches in the box the whole game. That gives you a sense of they rode their luck quite a bit in this game. Denmark had 23 shots. But for them, you know, this is an incredible result. We did see the fans celebrating, and I can understand the mixed emotions of everyone. The fans celebrating, the players not. Um, I believe Tim Spav after the game said, listen, the result, it's good, but it's not important. Our thoughts are with Ericsson, that's the priority. You know, life is more important than football. So, but yeah, it, it, for Finland, it's incredible, and it puts them in a great position yeah. to progress to the next stage because three points, like we've been saying, the best third players can get there. Three points is a great start, and they could go at least to the second round, which would be incredible given the pre tournament expectations a reaction with great dignity but a fantastic result but I just need your help Thomas on the pronunciation of the goal scorer's name I'm not even going to try here we go Joel Pojan Palo yeah yeah Pojan Palo <laughs> I'm throwing to your and actually he's been in good form like obviously Pukki's uh, Timo Pukki is, is the, the main man but uh, he's got a fair few for, for the national team so yeah, it wasn't a surprise that uh, it, it would have been one of them Pukki had that you know, through ball in the first half where Simon Kerr just managed to outmuscle him. But other than that, yeah, it was one way traffic. But they fought well and, you know, the keeper came up big in, in, in at the penalty and, you know, that the, they rolled their luck, but fair play to them. Yeah, they're a plucky outfit. That's not too dissimilar to a lot of their World Cup qualifying um, performances. But as you alluded to, Nick, with the th- four third-place teams get through, so with Russia um, conceding a few this morning against Belgium, they would fancy that uh, Denmark will be competitive in the ensuing games, even though they have Belgium to come. Um, and you think if those two teams, Finland and Denmark, can keep respectable, I mean, if they don't beat Belgium, they keep the scoreline respectable or get a point, they'll put themselves in every position to go through the next phase. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would still say I'm, I'm confident of them getting through. They're still a, a great team. Um, and yeah, I think against Russia, that will be the crucial game in the third thing, but I think they can definitely get the three points and then that will put them in a very good position. Yeah, so next up for both sides, Finland against Russia, Wednesday night, 11pm, and then we've got... Look, Denmark playing Belgium, uh, 18th at 2 a.m. So, look, there's a, a bit of time to go between then, and we'll see how both teams recover. Thank you, Thomas, for your, you know, honesty. I know it's a raw, it's raw still, but we appreciate you. We always appreciate what, your thoughts on the Gagan Pod, but particularly today, it's it's amazing insight and a great tribute. So, we mentioned Belgium, Nick. They did they what gear did they get to today as they defeated Russia three nil? Um, it was a. I don't even want to say, like if we say that Italy's was a statement win because of how impressive they were yesterday. Were Belgium that impressive or were they in cruise control? No, this, this is not a statement win. This is more like a little, you flick a text to a friend like, hey, we're still here. Don't <laughs> worry about us. Because I think a few people were saying, you know, that they're a bit of an aging squad. They're not doing too well, including myself. Mm. Um, today, they didn't even really get out of second gear and they've won 3-0. No Kevin De Bruyne, no Alex Witzel, Eden Hazard coming off the bench late when the game was kind of over. You know, an impressive victory from Belgium. Romelu Lukaku is in mm. unbelievable form. I think it's his 38th goal for club and country this season. Since Roberto Martinez took over, he has 45 goals in 43 games. It is incredible, his form and what he's what he's done for Belgium. So, you know, anyone who put um, Lukaku to be top goal scorer, Dave Wiener, very good shout. That is a very good shout because he's done very well already. And then he obviously has games uh, against uh, Denmark and Finland coming up. So I think he's going to get a few more even in the group stage. Yeah, I'm not necessarily sure Belgium are going to win it, but I just feel like uh, it's the kind of tournament, particularly with a game against Russia, Lukaku can fill his boots. He's he's coming of age, isn't he, Thomas, as a probably 
one of the worlds, if you talk about pure strikers, uh, there's, there's not many better around than Romelu Lukaku right now. No, and, and, and when you look at it, like he's a dying breed, really. You know, you don't see many. The modern player is not moulded like Lukaku. But thank God, you know, you, you still have them around. And I think the motivation he left United with, you know, he was being criticised for being overweight and slow. And uh, he went to, obviously, Inter Milan and, and has done incredibly well and winning the Scudetto this year and, and, and the record he has for, for, you know, I think it's 61 goals for, mm. for Belgium now. It's unbelievable. Uh, and we saw today as well, you know, just, you know, the first goal mistake, you know, but he's there to finish it. Second goal, just that deep run out muscles again, the defender and finds the net. You know, he's a top quality striker. Can I just also say, to me, the big question is, how do you stop him? Because if you play a high line, he's so fast, he can just get in behind, as we saw for the third goal. If you sit deep, he's unbelievable at turning and shooting. So you, you, whatever you do, you're in trouble. It's a very difficult way to kind of stop him. And I don't know who can. Well, can I load a, a double question on that for you, Thomas? Then how do you stop that when you throw in perhaps an Eden Hazard coming back into fitness? Because he looked good in his cameo today. It was a bit of the shade of the old Eden Hazard. And then I think they got a guy called Kevin De Bruyne, who can play a little bit, supplies a few assists every now and then. I think Apparently Luka- he's, a, he's a big he's, talent. He's all right. And I think Lukaku wouldn't mind feasting on someone like that. So what does that do for their prospects? It's We didn't learn that much about them today. We know what they're capable of. They got through, they dusted it off. But what does that prospect do to have Lukaku playing with those two players? Yeah, but I think we have to mention Munya as well. He came on and, and, and scored a goal and, and actually set Lukaku up for... <laughs> So that just shows the squad. And, and you know, I, I think, you know, I was in Russia watching Eden Hazard at his absolute best. And, and if they get anything near that, if they can get him in, and, and now I think they're in a great position in, 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 the, in, the, in the group now. Give him some minutes, give him half an hour, give him 45 minutes, and he can play his way in. You know, then suddenly you got De Bruyne coming back. You know, they, they, I can only see them getting stronger and as you said Nick you know I don't think they they were flicking a few texts but not more than that <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say as well we talked about it a bit yesterday but Telemans Telemans yeah. was immense in midfield totally dictating the game you know so the quality is just is coming in all aspects of the pitch you know we, we worried a little bit about the defence Russia didn't really test it today. I think that's still a question it's still a question and that will be more a question when it comes into and, and that's I guess for a lot of the big teams it's when they come up against the other big teams that we're really going to see it but Telemans was immense today yeah I don't think they're going to get tested you know we say that Finland will be competitive Denmark are in a good place as, as, as a unit in, on paper coming into the tournament. But I don't think they're the test that we're going to scare Belgium's high line or the defensive speed. Finland, that's going to come later Finland on. one shot today. Yeah, so. that's going to come later on. That's still a question. I, I, have, I asked John about this yesterday. I'm keen on your thoughts on Tielemans and De Bruyne because um, it's obviously that they're two dazzling midfielders. But you mentioned Witzel a bit earlier. I'd love to get your thoughts, Thomas, on, on in the big game, does Martinez go with the Rolls-Royce of Tielemans and De Bruyne with Hazard, is that is it throwing all the dice out there or do you still need that sort of Axel Witzel just to be the axe uh, in the middle of the park? I, I think, you know, De Bruyne will pros- possibly take Carrasco's, even though he was great today. I thought he had some great actions and uh, but that's probably where he will make the change. I, I still think the modern game, the teams he's going to come up against, you want to protect that transition. Um, you know, if he plays with Hazard... And just Tielemans in there, it's going to be a little bit mm. bare. I think if if push comes to shove and, and um, you know, against the Italians who are very strong in, in, in that area, other, other teams. So, you know, he'll have some 
some questions or some some tactical things he has to consider. But uh, options is great. You know, if Hazard is anywhere, you know, he can put them up front as well. So he he does have options to bring Munier on for Castagna. That that's options. Well, one option that uh, Martinez has, which I was shocked that he still has, is Thomas Vermaelen. He's still playing for Belgium. <laughs> the guy's playing for Vissel Kobe in Japan. But when I saw Thomas Vermaelen's coming, I was like, he's still in this squad. It's it's incredible. So and you know he did okay when he came on, but good to see him still playing. But I think a positive for them is is he's not in the first eleven so to speak, in that they do have graduated slightly on that 2018. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Interestingly poised there. Earlier on in the night, of course, if we go back to 11pm, it was Wales against Switzerland. And a one-all draw where Switzerland would probably cannot believe that they did drop those points because they were sensational. It's probably the individual performance of the tournament so far from Brie Mbolo. Some stunning individual moments capped off by a headed goal to put Switzerland up 1-0. But Wales did come back uh, with the equaliser, Kiefer Moore, one-all, to keep themselves in a very competitive group. Now, we are very fortunate throughout the Gagan pod, uh, throughout the Euros, we'll be hearing from uh, journalists from the, the Athletic in the UK. Now, Nick, we're football nerds here. We consume all the best football content on the planet and it's fair to say that when it comes to the best of the best, it is The Athletic. It's oh, um, a, a big signing from uh, the Gagan Press Pod. <laughs> it's a big signing. Press Pod, the Gagan Pod in honour of the Gagan Press, Gagan of course. Pod, <laughs> yeah, still, still getting used to it. That's it, that's it. I'm warming up. I'm warming up. You know? But um, no, we're absolutely uh, delighted to be able to bring you the insights of uh, some of the best football scribes on the planet. And to begin with, I caught up a little bit earlier today with Stu James about Wales' performance against Switzerland. Well, that wasn't a particularly impressive Wales performance. They struggled for long periods of the game, really. Obviously, uh, fell behind. And there was a point in the second half when you felt as though Switzerland were more likely to score again rather than Wales. Wales just couldn't keep the ball. Um, uh, Switzerland dominated possession, really. Uh, looked much more threatening, had twice as many attempts on goal, three times as many corners and always looked dangerous on those set pieces. Uh, so, you know, all things considered, it was, a, it was a decent point for Wales in the end. Gareth Bale was really on the periphery of that match. Uh, Half time, I think I'm right in saying he touched the ball on fewer occasions than any other Wales player. And bearing in mind, we're talking about their most influential player here. So he was just on the periphery, really. Um, uh, that was partly a product, obviously, of the whole Wales team not having enough possession, finding themselves on the back foot for long periods of the match. But really, that's something that they'll look to improve and Bell will want to improve as well so that he can have uh, far greater influence on, on the match going forward. Dan James was, you know, aside from Danny Ward, probably Wales' best player. He was a danger whenever he got the ball on the left. Um, he looked threatening. He's now capable of crossing off either foot. That's a real improvement in his game over the last 12 to 18 months, you'd say. So it was a really curious decision on the manager's part to bring Dan James off uh, just after, literally just after, Kiefer Moore had equalised for for Wales. So you could see Dan James wasn't happy. He made that clear. And yeah, it just felt really odd because the momentum was with Wales at that point and, and James was their most menacing player going forward. So uh, that will be something for... 
you know, Rob Page to, to deal with going forward in terms of uh, how unhappy Dan James was at the time. And on that note, it was obviously a really important goal from Kiefer Moore. Uh, there's always a debate about whether he should start or not for Wales, but he was uh, really important for Wales in both boxes. He made some important clearances uh, from the all those corners I mentioned, and uh, it was a terrific header from Joe Morrell's cross to get the equaliser for Wales. So uh, Kiefer Moore really justifying his uh, inclusion in the team. On the whole, I think... Page will be happy with the result, especially given the circumstances of the match, because Wales didn't play well. Switzerland were full of grief not to have won that game. So, you know, with that in mind, Page has to be happy. In terms of the performance, I think that's a different uh, question altogether. And Wales certainly will have to improve against Turkey. I know Turkey were poor against Italy on uh, Friday night, but they already go into this game, Turkey, uh, wanting to get a victory to give themselves a chance of qualifying for the knockout stage. And, and Wales are going to need to be to be much better. And I think really that will be the general feeling of the Welsh public. They'll be relieved to have got a point. Um, the last thing you want to do is start a tournament with a defeat and actually not playing well and and, uh, and not losing the game is in a way no, uh, no bad thing. They'll take some... Um, confidence from the character and the belief they showed to come from one nil down and get a result but certainly plenty of room for improvement yeah so they'll be absolutely delighted Wales have picked up a point Nick because uh it it wasn't the best performance uh Gareth Bale was hardly cited uh we know we know they're a team that have high hopes based on what they did last time but speaking of you know the ability of three teams to go through which we touched on a little bit earlier they've put themselves right in the mix here on a point with Switzerland of course Italy have set the pace but that goal difference early on means that now it is advantage Wales and it is advantage Switzerland over Turkey for the spot in the in the next phase definitely but I would also think Turkey would look at that and go okay good one point each. That that's a good opportunity because you know Turkey. I think are really going to have to make a statement in their next game after their poor performance uh, in the first game, which is Wales. So that's going to be a huge fixture. It's Italy, Switzerland, Turkey, Wales. That group is, uh, as we probably suspected, right on. Yeah, and but but I think you know Turkey just being happy with that result this morning. You know, for them it opens everything up. Had Switzerland won. You know, and then suddenly you're up against it. But, um, you know, yeah, it's opened it up. Italy, clear favourites, um, should go through easily. And then, you know, everyone else has a chance. You know, I can't wait to see if Mbolo can sustain that form. Uh, 24 years old, that is the type of performance that puts you in the transfer window. And uh, I suspect that if he can back that up, um, he will be one of the talking points of the tournament, no doubt about it. Now, speaking of talking points... I think the game that everyone kind of had as penciled in is when things would erupt at the Euros is 11pm Australian Eastern Standard Time, Sunday night, Croatia against England at Wembley. There's been so much build-up, so much build-up, so much speculation, and even at this point, uh, on the eve of the game, it's still a, it's still a bingo what Gareth Southgate's going to pick. Um, so it's, we're going to touch on that in a sec, but just speaking of the athletic, we've also heard from Ryan Conway a little bit earlier because I just wanted to get an understanding of what the mood is like in the UK. Is it a bit of angst? Is it excitement? Is it a mix of both? Um, let's find out what the mood is in the UK heading into England's clash with Croatia. I think when you look at this England squad as a whole, um, I think they do have to be considered one of the front runners for the tournament. I think the squad holds up against any other squad, you know, that is going there. Even even France is now. France, I think, have got a little bit more strength in depth, but I think England have got just as many difference makers as, as France have got. I think the difference might be 
um, tactically and, and, on, and on the sidelines. I think Gareth Southgate is a very, very good man manager. I think it's his greatest strength. But I do have some tactical question marks over him and his, over his ability to adjust in-game. Um, and I also think he's a manager that tends to do better with structure. And I actually think this is an England team. The DNA of it kind of thrives in a bit more of a free-flowing manner. So I think that might be um, the, the, the biggest issue there. Um, I mean, when it comes to the balance of the squad, I actually don't mind it too much, if truth be told. Now, yes, there is a lot of defenders in there. Um, and guys like, you know, James Ward-Prowse has, has, has missed out. We had the, you know, will Trent, will, will Trent Alexander-Arnold be in? Will he be out? Of course, he gets in. Then he picks up an injury and, and, and he drops out. Um, but actually, I quite like the midfield in there with Bellingham, Mason Mount, who will be, you know, the much more advanced of the, of the midfielders should he play um, and probably will play. Um, Jordan Henderson, he probably has you know, fitness issues that will limit him early on in the tournament, but I like his inclusion. And Declan Rice, I think, has been excellent for West Ham for, for a good long period now. So I like, I like the balance in the, in the midfield. And I think, you know, when you talk about attackers with Foden, Sacco and... Uh, uh, Saka, sorry, with Foden, Saka, with uh, Marcus Rashford, with Raheem Sterling, with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, with Harry Kane. Now, my concern with these would not be balance issues. My concerns would be form issues. You look at someone like Raheem Sterling, who's been a little bit out of sorts lately. You look at someone like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's not had the best time of it lately. I mean, you look at a couple of the warm-up games. Marcus Rashford, his form has, has really tailed off lately as well. Um, of course, he's been, you know, some of these players have been carrying dings and bumps and knocks and what have you but that would be my concern would be what shape are some of the players in form wise and injury wise going into this tournament now of course the disruptions you look at the delay in the squad announcement you look at the injuries to harry Maguire, the trent alexander arnold debate um the henderson you know injury as well um the champions league and europa league finals necessitating almost a bigger squad being announced and therefore it can be trimmed and some of these players can can go on holiday i think uh, or take some time off i think it is a slight distraction but you have to deal with these things as as, as managers and also like this is a deep talent pool for for english players and you know the dates you know the dates will have been set it won't won't have been just like this has been dropped on Gar you know Gareth Southgate he'll you know him him and his staff will have known that there was a possibility that you know English clubs could be in the Champions League final they must have um at least had a plan to adapt to that and it seems that the plan obviously was carried out with announcing a 33 man squad um i don't believe that there is um anything particularly particularly wrong with that so no i don't i think that would be a very weak argument if England were to uh, were to underwhelm in this in this tournament. So Thomas is Gareth Southgate blessed with options or is he working himself into a bit of a pickle where he doesn't know what his best 11 is anymore? You know I, I hope that's all in the discussion on the outside and, and we're standing here and we, we don't see a clear picture you know I'm, I'm, I hope for the sake of England <laughs> and, and you know there are chances that within the group he has a plan he knows what his first starting 11 is and probably has for a while. So, uh, you know, because otherwise, you know, you, 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 I don't think with all the options, you've you got to have a clear picture of, of who you want to play with. And, uh, you know, if you hear rumours about Sterling, we saw what happened in the Champions League. Not that he's not a good player, but it's just a, a, a choice. Mm. You know, it's not on form what he's, you know, there's players that showed better form this season. So that would be a, a weird choice, but, you know, who knows? Can I just ask Thomas, just on that, the idea of a coach having a kind of 
selected 11. When you were a player, did you prefer kind of knowing ahead of time, maybe a few days before? Because I know some coaches, it's a few days before they let you know this is going to be the 11. Or they let last minute, you know, maybe the last few hours they say, okay, guys, and they keep everyone on the toes, but maybe it creates a lot of anxiety. I think that uh, mentality of, of letting players know in the last second is a bit of an old school mentality. Um, you know, I had managers, uh, I had Martin O'Neill at Aston Villa. He came in one hour and 10 minutes before every game and, and you were sitting there in a the dressing room. Wow. Like, you know, obviously 80% knew they were playing, but there was always some curveballs and and you see people scrambling and, and, you know, getting their stuff ready because they were they thought they were in the stand. You know, and, and I, I prefer to prepare. You know, if you play... You know, because what goes on behind the scenes is there's a lot of, you know, things you talk through with defenders, you know, from a goalkeeping perspective, wall, you know, set plays. And if you have days to do that, you can sit over a coffee in the evening. You know, it doesn't be not need to be with a coach, but you sit there and like, in, you know, I want you to do this. And, and the more that happens, the more prepared you go into a game. I've been in a dressing room where I've suddenly been thrown a curveball and then I have to run around. So who's in the wall? Where mm. are we, you know, and, and, you know, players that you haven't played with are suddenly playing. And, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, that that they're already told now who's playing tomorrow, or at least I, I hope so. That's it. That's why that's, it's all about, it's all about the man management. That's why I put the Gagginpot dates out one week before so that Thomas, you can have enough coffees to be ready for what's coming up on the show, uh, coming up next time out. So let's clarify there. I think there are three certainties, Jordan Pickford, Declan Rice, John Stone, so four and Harry Kane. Other than that, can't be guaranteed who's at right back? Mm-hmm. Who partners John Stones? Is it a back three or is it a back four? Is it Luke Shaw or is it Ben Chilwell? Is Jordan Henderson fit to play? If he does or doesn't, is it Calvin Phillips or is it Jude Bellingham? Mason Mount, you would think surely he is the other lock, but we don't know. And then is it Foden? Is it Grealish? Is it one of them? Is it both of them? Is it Sterling? Is it Rashford? Do you know what? It's so close to kickoff. We don't have to speculate for much longer. We're going to find out. But just in a nutshell, I'd love to know who you'd both, who is the, you know, Grealish, Mount, Foden. That's the big one. How many of those would you have in the 11 if you, if you had the choice? For me, I would have Grealish and Foden. Mount has been incredible this season, but for me, I, I think Grealish gives you that dribbling in, you know, into the box, that, that creative thing if, if Croatia sits deep. I think Foden has been absolutely outstanding and is, is one of the great young English players coming through. It's very hard to keep Mount of the squad. And this, this is where he has to balance the whole team, and it's going to be tough. And this is actually why I think Croatia has a good chance of upsetting England because of this uncertainty. Mm. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's England. We know that the tournament pressure comes, all the excitement. We've got this great squad, and they crumble. And I think, you know, it's a young squad. It could happen again. Yeah, no, it's uh, – and I don't think they're great at the back in a back line. You know, I know Maguire is out, but Pickford, you know, it's a bit up and down. Mm. Um, and um, – you know, I, I think he'll play it a bit cautious. Um, and, you know, I still, you know, I think Foden obviously will play. I, I, st- I still think, I don't think Grealish will play, even no, though he's been, he's been he's um, been he's been great the last couple of, uh, you know, preparation games. He, he's going to stick with what he's, is it, is it Sterling? Uh, um, you know, I, 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 I think it will be, so, <laughs> you know, for some reason. Uh, like uh, Guardiola, they must see something in training that we don't see uh, because he hasn't obviously featured that much. So you, you would think... He's just not confident at the moment. Yeah, that's the thing, you know, and, and confidence is massive, 
you know, form is, is massive. Um, you know, I've been beneficiary of, of, you know, having some credit in a bank by some managers and, and you actually shouldn't be playing, but then you get a chance and, uh, you know, and you make the most of it. But, you know, I always feel you got to go with who's, who's, who's in best form. Uh, and sometimes you have to disappoint some players that have done really well for you in the past, but it's the present that counts and they need to win this one or, you know, they ca- at least can't lose it. And we should also say Croatia have their own selection difficulties. Mm. There's a lot of talk in the Croatia media about Nikola Vlasic mm. starting or mm-hmm. Mateo Kovacic starting. So, you know, England has more uncertainty, but Croatia also has their issues, which, you know, is going to be tough to solve. But what we know for sure is going to be an unbelievable game. And that's what we're so excited for. And it's very hard to call. And it's also a little bit of unpredictability about the Croatian side. Will they be, you know, we know how good they were a couple of years ago. They've been a little bit inconsistent since. We know that that era is probably starting to dip. But is there one more catch in it for them? And they certainly have the pedigree uh, to compete. And maybe first game for them is perfect with England just having that. Even if they have it all settled on the inside, we haven't seen that 11 trot out in public so you know they haven't had that chance to have that combination play to have that uh, that unity there as well so for me I think uh, I think Mount will start I'd love to see Foden and then I still think there'll be one of the direct players be it Rashford be it Sterling theoretically Sancho but I don't think it will be well I, I think as well it's just going to be very interesting to see someone like if Jude Bellingham starts you know so young and then he's going to be up against someone like Luka Modric mm. so so experienced such an incredible player that's a huge test for such a young kid in the first game at Wembley incredible mm. so much to look forward to in that sense so that's 11pm after the warm up with Mel Claude and Max Rushton 11pm uh, kickoff on England versus Croatia Full night of action. Every night is a full night of action from now on. Austria against North Macedonia at 2am. And then our first glimpse of the Netherlands back in major tournament football up against Ukraine at 5am. What are you gents most looking forward to out of those fixtures? Uh, For me, I think that the Netherlands are going to get a good early examination against Ukraine. Chevchenko's got them playing pretty well. You know they've they've got some 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 good players. Um, you know they're a, a solid team. They've been together for a while, uh, and they've they've you know they've, they've come up with some good results. And I I think you know I'm a, not you know a, a great uh, fan of uh, Frank de Boer. Uh, uh, you know I don't I think don't he's think a great manager. Uh, you know he's he's not have success in in America. You know we saw the stint at Crystal Palace. <laughs> Uh, and for some reason, I think he, he's not getting the best out of that squad because they've got, you know, we can't argue with the talent. But again, I think he's a weakness. Um, and I think the results have shown they, they lost uh, 4-2 to Turkey. You know, so it's, it hasn't been impressive. They've had a, a bad start to the qualifiers. Yeah, indeed. One thing I'll say is uh, Memphis Dubai has been amazing uh, in the warm-up games. I think because he's negotiating a contract with Barcelona right now, he's trying to get a few more million out of them, and it's working because they're just like, okay, we've got to sign this guy. This guy's incredible. But we'll see. It, you're right. I think it's going to be a great test, and I would not be surprised at all if Ukraine upsets the Netherlands. Now, you'll be very busy tomorrow, Nick. You won't be on the Gagapod because you'll be keeping your eye across Brazil versus Venezuela at 7 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time as the Copa America kicks off. Colombia against Ecuador at 10 a.m. tomorrow. This is a... A puzzling tournament because we love to watch South American football, but it's also, again, in context of a pretty interesting environment that's being played in. Well, we'll just give the latest update that we know is Venezuela, who are scheduled to play tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., have 14 players who have tested positive for COVID. They are flying in a whole new team to play in the game tomorrow morning. No preparation, no nothing. Uh, This is the tournament that's changed hosts multiple times. It's incredible that it's even going ahead, but it is. We will bring it to you in full. Uh, I am looking forward to the on pitch, you know, because there's so many talented, wonderful players 
for Venezuela, I don't know who is actually going to play because there's 14 new players coming in. But it, listen, it's going to be dramatic all the way through the tournament. Off you go. Time to do your research and get ready for the game. And it's, who knows what to expect? It's... um. Geez, the world in 2021, the things we have to talk about. Gents, thank you for so much for your time today. Nick, great to see you and great to have you in the first couple of episodes of the Euros Gagan Pod. Plenty more to come. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thomas, sincerest thank you again. And our, our audience no doubt appreciates your, your insights and thoughts as much as we do every single time you're on the show. So much appreciated. Yeah, we keep, uh, keep praying for Ericsson. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. So everyone out there, hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gagan Pod. Until the next one, enjoy your football. But most importantly, our thoughts and prayers are with Christian Erickson and his family. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.